We open our Bibles together tonight to the, Philipp- to the Epistle to the Philippians, chapter 4. We'll read that chapter now, and we're going to look at the fourth verse. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So I was asked to uh, preach on this text while I was in Linden, Washington. The elders had chosen this particular verse for their family visitation. Chapter 4 is a beautiful chapter. I like to think of it as the apostle giving soul care to the congregation in Philippi, the congregation that he loved so dearly, and they loved him. And we're going to be reading of this constant exchange that Paul joys in them, and at the same time, they think of Paul and joy in him. Chapter 4 of Philippians. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Herodias and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, and that's probably a reference to the pastor of Philippi, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again to my necessity. 
not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Not to God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. As I said, we'll be looking tonight at the fourth verse of this chapter. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. And in case you missed it, I say again, rejoice in the Lord. This is the word of God to you, to me, tonight. How do we respond? Would you use the word joy to describe yourself? To describe your life, to describe your heart and your soul, would we use this word in our own personal lives concerning how we responded to all that came into our life into the, in this past week or into the life of our family? Did we always live and seek to live out of that sweet pleasure and joy that is ours in the Lord? Or did we succumb at times to bitterness, hopelessness? Do we hear these words in the scriptures? We know these these words are here. We've read these many times before. Do we hear these words simply as a as a little pep talk that we need now and then. It says always, rejoice in the Lord, always. But do we really say, but that's unrealistic. We really can't do that. That's impossible to always be rejoicing in the Lord. Maybe these words even hurt you. Maybe you might be saying in your heart, does the Lord mock me? Rejoice in the Lord always in what I am facing, in the trials and the burdens of my heart and soul. As a young person, is your life monotonous, without point or direction? 
How do you respond in trials and with anxiety? Isn't this impossible? Rejoice in the Lord always. That's why I began by saying this is God's word to you and to me. And God does not call us to do something in his word, which by his grace, he does not give us the ability to do, that is to strive onto and to possess in our souls. If God has commanded this, then it is not impossible. When God comes with an imperative, rejoice, then we cannot say to that, to any command of God, or to this imperative, rejoice, we cannot say to that, I can't do that. Then we should say in honesty, I won't do that. It was the church father Augustine who expressed it this way. He would say and he would pray to God, give what you command and command what you will. God's promise is to give us the grace to obey these commandments. We must understand that this joy that he is speaking of is the fruit of his grace. It is not based upon circumstances in our life. It It does not cease because of circumstances in our life, but it is in the Lord. We must joy in the Lord. Joy is the theme of the book of Philippians. Sixteen times over and over again the Apostle Paul expresses either his joy in the Philippians, their joy in him, or his own personal joy in the Lord. Throughout the book Paul is constantly expressing joy. He refers to them Verse 1, as his joy and crown, he rejoiced when he thought about his fellow saints. The Apostle Paul rejoiced in every circumstance that he was found in. This epistle is being written during his first imprisonment in Rome, where he is kept under house arrest. Not only that, he tells us in the first chapter that his imprisonment had become the occasion for other ministers in the church to be more aggressive and more zealous, and many of them were doing this because they believed that with Paul sidelined, they could assert themselves how that had to hurt, perhaps, his flesh. But the apostle says, verse 18, what then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I there do in do rejoice, Yea, I will rejoice. He goes on to explain that the reason for his rejoicing is that he desires that Christ will be magnified in his body, whether it be by his life or death. He lived a life of joy in the Lord. He called the Philippian church to live this same life of joy in the Lord with him. Paul's joy was in the Lord. That means his joy was a settled feeling, a settled spiritual attitude of pleasure in his God, in the Lord God, which ruled his heart. 
so that his joy was not determined by, by his circumstances. His joy was not simply an optional act. It was not due to his personality makeup, but God has commanded it, and he does tonight to you and me. Unbelievers, apart from Christ, cannot be commanded to rejoice. They cannot rejoice. What they joy over is empty and soap bubbles. But by grace, we can be commanded to rejoice always in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. So I forgot to prepare an outline for you. So we have to follow and pay attention to just three points. Striking imperative, sure possibility, and continual practice. Now what is jumping off the page of the scriptures and what so strikes us is this imperative, rejoice in the Lord. It is a present active imperative so that the first word, rejoice, can be, and really is, translated, keep on rejoicing. Don't stop. The word always is not really necessary, but it's put there because of the striking exhortation, always be joyful in the Lord. And joy is an emotion in our hearts. And we think that we are subject to our emotions. I'm not happy. I can't be happy. I'm down. We think that emotions, that they capture us, and we have no control over them. That they come up from someplace within us and just overwhelm us. Anger. Bitterness. But God's word says, no, that's not true. You are responsible for your emotions. Emotions can be commanded by God. And he does. We know that the exhortation of verse 4 is the first in a long list of different commands that deal with our emotions. He says in verse 6, the familiar words, Be careful for nothing, don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication. He tells us what to do, how to confront that feeling of anxiety. Go to God in prayer, and he'll give us the peace, passing understanding. In verse 8, he deals with another thing that we think we have no control over. Think on these things. Sometimes I say, how can I control my thoughts? I can't get off this thought. But the Apostle, the Holy Spirit says, think on these things, whatever lovely and true, those things that you had seen in the life of the Apostle Paul, think on those things that you have learned, and the peace of God will be with you. And so now in our text, God is commanding us to have joy. I'm going to be repeating the definition that I have tonight of joy in the scriptures. Joy is the settled disposition 
of the heart, the born-again heart. It is the emotion of that heart resting in the Lord, in the Lord, in the pleasure of the Lord, in the peace of the Lord, or simply resting in the truth that I belong to Jesus Christ and I belong to God. Joy is the settled emotion deep in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. There's a joy, joy, joy. Resting in God and what He has done for me in Jesus Christ. And so the force of the exhortation must be very clear. Joy is not simply a suggestion. Joy is not simply a goal that we should have more of. And we would all agree, we should. But joy is a calling in Jesus Christ. Joy is not for those whose temperament happens to be more upbeat. Joy is not simply icing on the cake in our Christian life. It's not simply that, well, we should have a little joy in our faith too. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always. A settled disposition of the heart in God. And this commandment unto joy is by no means unique in our text. If you study the Holy Scriptures, you'll find that throughout all of the Scriptures, the Scriptures are constantly speaking of the joy, the precious joy that belongs to us as God's children. I just looked through the Psalms of the 30s. Psalm 33, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Psalm 34, verse 1, which we memorized a few years ago. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Psalm 35, verse 9. And my soul shall be joyful. This is what we just sang. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in His salvation. Psalm 4, verse 7. Thou hast put gladness in my soul more than in the time when their corn and their wine increased. David is writing this, those words, when Absalom, his own son, sought to kill him. When from one night he came from a palace to camping out away from the army, lest if the enemy would fall upon the army, they'd get David too, so he was off by himself. Thou hast put gladness in my soul. More than in the time that their corn and wine increased, that is more than just a happiness over earthly prosperity. Oh no, God had put something deep down in David's soul. It was called gladness. It was joy in God. Jesus possessed this joy perfectly. Jesus was a joyful man. I would ask the children, when you think about Jesus, what do you think of? And yes, the Bible does say he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he bore the burden of the wrath of God his whole life long against our sins. But at bottom, 
the Redeemer as he bore that sorrow was a man of joy. Psalm 45, God, thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, remember? That we had chosen for the 2020 convention, 2020 vision, the words of Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. It was that joy in his God that sustained him in his suffering. He had joy. And Jesus calls his disciples onto joy. Do you remember the parable of the treasure in the field of a man who finds this treasure and he goes and buys that treasure? He gives up everything, but he, Jesus put it this way, who for the joy sold everything that he had and bought that field. Again, the Lord says in John 16, verses 21 and 22, to his disciples who are stricken with sorrow, he's told them, I'm going to go away from you. It's not going to be this way anymore. And he says, sorrow hath filled your heart. But he says to them, but you will see me again by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when you see me again, you will rejoice, and your joy shall no man take from you. And we could go through the epistles. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 4, when he says that we are to rejoice even when we are being persecuted. And the apostle Paul, time after time, would make this constant contrast that the world could not understand, but he understood. He would speak often, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 10, that he would be sorrowful, he'd be rejected, he'd be despised, but then he would say, but always rejoicing. Always rejoicing. Joy is not a side blessing. It's not nice to have from time to time. It's not unimportant in the Christian life. We should not think that other things are more important than joy, duty. We say as parents to our children, I don't care if you like it. Do it. God does not say that. God does not say, I don't care if you don't have joy in me. Just do your duty. But God calls us to this joy. We must not think that this joy is dispensable. We must not think that it comes from our circumstances. We must not think that it's simply a human emotion. It is an emotion, but it is not simply a human emotion. It is a born-again emotion. It is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is Love, number two, joy, peace, long-suffering. Joy is the settled disposition 
of a heart which is resting in the God of our salvation. It is an emotion. Of course it is. Thou hast given me joy. Shout for joy, says the scriptures. It's a heart that is resting in God and in his word. And God not only may command your heart, but he does, and mine. He commands a response of our hearts to him. Of course he does. He said to the disciples in the storm-tossed boat, what did he say? They were afraid. Peace. Be still. It is I. What did he say to the disciples who were so troubled that he was going to leave them? Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. What did he say to them when they returned from preaching and they were very excited because they said to him when they returned from preaching, even the devils were subject to us. And the Lord says, don't rejoice so much about that. Don't get all worked up about that. Here's why you should rejoice. Your names are written in heaven. The point is crucial. A Christian, young people, a Christian is not simply who has certain assent, certain beliefs of certain doctrines. Is that a Christian? Yes. I, didn't, I said he's not simply that. A Christian is not simply someone who performs certain duties and lives a certain lifestyle. Is that a Christian? Yes. But a Christian is not simply that. A Christian is not simply somebody who goes to church. Do Christians go to church? Yes. Yes to all of those things. That's what they do. But it's deeper than that. It's something far more reaching than that. Why? Do we as Christians do that? Why do we want to believe doctrine and truth? Why do we want to perform our Christian duty? Why do we want to live a Christian lifestyle in this world? Why? For the joy of it. It is joy to do thy will. In regeneration, God has given us a new heart. He has given us replacement surgery so that there are now, according to the canons of Dort in the third and fourth head, new affections, new emotions within us. And that's a joy, a deep, settled joy. There may be tears in our hearts. Our hearts might be broken, but there is a a joy that no man can take from us. It's not a plastic joy. It's not a put-on joy. It's not a make-believe joy. It's not a human joy. It's the joy of the Lord given to us to joy in Him. And God commands the emotion, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous. 
God does not just, young people, He does not just command our actions, what we are to do, what we are to believe. He certainly does. But He commands the disposition behind the actions that we joy in the Lord. Of course He commands emotions. He says, don't hate, but love, even as I have loved you. Don't covet, but be content in my hands. Don't fear, but trust in me. Don't lust, but be holy. Don't despair. Rejoice in the Lord. The gospel has come tonight again with a call to repentance. A gloomy, morose, bitter Christian. When I'm that way, I'm sinning no less than a covetous, lustful, and hating Christian. Or to put it this way, if our Christian living is just a drag and something we endure, and that we say, do I have to? Then there's a deep cloud of darkness yet in my heart of unthankfulness to my God. And he calls me to confess it and to repent of it. Now we do struggle with depression. Depression from various sources and one of them no doubt is our own flesh and our bodies as we're fallen in sin. And the Lord knows that. He knows that. We struggle with His way. We become discouraged in our Christian walk. We become so weary over pain in the body We are engulfed in sorrow in the death of a child. But God calls us, even then, to a joy in the Lord. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. A settled disposition deep in the heart of joy in the Lord my God, as my God. Beloved, he's not calling us to something distasteful. He's not calling us to gloominess. He's calling us to delight ourselves in him, deep in the heart, to rejoice in him. It's an imperative. I have saved you. I have given myself for you. I am the Lord, and all that I am is yours and for you. Rejoice in the Lord. This is not distasteful. This is not 
plastic. This is not God being inconsiderate of what you're going through. This is not impossible. This is not optional. This is a wonderful thing. A joy in God, a peaceful resting in Him, a joy, joy, joy down in my heart. And the possibility is God. Rejoice in the Lord. There is the possibility. Rejoice in the Lord always. Joy is the spiritual or the spirit-worked response to God of the believer. Psalm 34, they looked unto him and their faces were lightened. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. Joy is the emotional response of the heart born again to God himself. Yes, when the Spirit brings us before God and all of his glory, there are other responses. Maybe even responses before joy. When we're brought before God in all of his glory in Christ and his love, we stand in awe, awe of him. When we stand before God and He gives us to know who we are, sinners, that's all we can bring to Him. And yet He has loved us. We stand before the Holy God who has justified us in Christ. There's humility. So the response to God is awe. It's humility, but it's also joy. It's a joy in the Lord. Now, in our text... In the Lord is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the exalted Lord Jesus Christ. To the Lord Jesus Christ, the Apostle has explained to us in the second chapter of this epistle that he is exalted at the right hand of God and every knee will bow before him so that our joy is what God has done irreversibly for me in Christ my Lord. Joy in that. Or we may say that our joy is when we see God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's our joy. If we try to find joy in anything else, it will disappoint. It always will disappoint. If it's our circumstances, they will change change suddenly. If it's our friends or family, that can change. People are sinners. We are sinners. We disappoint others. If our joy is in money and pleasure and possessions and the pleasures of sin, they will not only disappoint, but they will sting us. But God in Christ never changes.
never disappoints, never forsakes. He is the fountain of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And so we must pursue our joy in the Lord, in God. The world and our flesh and the devil want to destroy that joy. The world is out to destroy that joy, saying our joy can only be in this life and in yourself and you should redefine yourself. Or Our flesh says my joy is when I get my own way. Or if God will give me what I want, then I will be joyful. Or the devil will say, you shouldn't have any joy. Look at you. You are, you are fake. You're a sinner. You're a fool for believing in Jesus. And so we fight for our joy. We fight with the word of God. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, Thy word was found, and I did eat them. And thy word was to my heart a joy and rejoicing. Jeremiah said the word of God was to him a joy. Why? He goes on to say, For I am called by thy name. The word of God reveals to us that we are called by his name. We fight with the word of God. We fight with prayer. Psalm 73, it is good for me to draw nigh unto God. We fight with a life of obedience. Obedience to God doesn't bring regret. Obedience to God doesn't bring tears. Obedience to God doesn't bring consequences that we mourn and rue the day that we ever did that. Obedience to God doesn't do that. Disobedience does that. We find our joy in his word, in prayer, in obedience. We find it in the fellowship of God's people. They are dear to me. They bring me joy. I need them. I need them. We find joy when we walk in the truth. That's how we fight for it. I have no greater joy, says John, than that my children walk in the truth, the truth of God, as he's revealed to me in the Bible. And so, for our joy, God works in us this deep joy as we dive into the Holy Scriptures, as we come to know him. If I have little joy, if I have no motivation... There's just nothing exciting about my spiritual life. If we're looking for one fad to the next to go to, then we have to ask ourselves the question, am I in the Holy Scripture? The message of the angel to the shepherd, behold, I bring you tidings of great joy. And so we study 
the Holy Scriptures and that wonder that the angels desire to look into the thing of our salvation and salvation by grace alone. That's joy. That's a deep joy down in my heart. So rejoice in the Lord always. I was explaining when I began the first point, now we're in the third point, that the word always is not technically necessary for the meaning of the verse. You don't need the word always to get the sense of the passage. The sense of the passage is keep on rejoicing. The word always is thrown in there, as I mentioned, because the scriptures know us. And we say, keep on rejoicing? Really? Not sometimes? Not just when things all go well? David said in Psalm 30 that he, when his mountain stood firm, firm he, he was happy. But then he goes on, I soon was sorely troubled, for God began to shake that mountain. Rejoice in him today. Rejoice in him tomorrow. Rejoice in him in life. Rejoice in him in death. Rejoice in him in health. Rejoice in him in sickness. Rejoice in him when your heart is happy. And when your soul is bowed down. And so we say, Lord, we've heard from Scripture We've heard it explained to us. We know what you are saying. We agree with that. We agree with that. But how? How do we do this? Yes, by God's grace. But I have four points to conclude with on how we continually practice joy very briefly. The first point I bring to you tonight is where I started, where we started the sermon. I'm not telling you. God is telling me, as you. And the one who is telling us to do this is not someone who does not know and does not understand what you're going to through. It is God who is calling us to do this. And the possibility is in God himself. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the God who tells us to do this is the source of our strength. We may go to him for this. He tells you, your master and your Lord, who saved you, who loves you, who's with you, he's calling you to this. Number two, we must remember the theme of Scripture that this joy, which I've said many times is not plastic, this joy is deepened, this true joy is deepened through trials, through heartaches. 
That means that the circumstances of your life are not arranged by God to crush you, to leave you bloody and beaten on the side of the road. But God is dealing with you to strengthen and deepen His work of grace. Trials work an exceeding great reward. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, the Apostle says to the Thessalonians, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word of God in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So God says, this doesn't mean just that you smile through it. We fall down before him. We cry out to him. But we know that he's working to deepen trust and to deepen our joy in him. Psalm 73. And whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's nothing on earth that I desire but thee. Number three. We rejoice always when we think of the perfection of our joy. Think of the revelation of that joy of one of those Dutch psalters that we should sing more often. Their joy shall then unbounded be who see God's face eternally. When the Lord returns or when He comes for you in death, your joy then shall be fulfilled. The Bible says that all of your sorrow and all of your sighing and all of your weeping will simply fade away. They'll blow away like the leaves of the fall. They won't mean, any, they won't mean that much to you anymore. You will rejoice in your God when you see Him. The Lord will say, enter into the joy of thy Lord. And finally, joy is found in submission to God's will. Falling down and confessing that he is God and I'm not. And God is good. And he's so good to me. The sinner. In 1932, a Presbyterian pastor who was married, and he and his wife had three daughters. They were expecting their fourth child. In the delivery, the baby and the mother died. The pastor asked a friend of his, a colleague, to preach the funeral sermon. And the minister preaching the sermon noticed that while he was preaching, the pastor and his three daughters sitting up toward the front, that the pastor was writing. And after the funeral, he asked him, what were you writing? And the pastor responded, well, as I heard the word of God, words and thoughts started coming to me. 
and I wrote them down. He said, may I see them? He gave them that slip of paper. These were the words. My father's way may twist and turn. My heart may throb and ache. But in my soul, I'm glad I know he maketh no mistake. There's so much now I cannot see. My eyesight far too dim. But come what may, I'll simply trust and leave it all to him. For by and by the mist will lift and plain all he will make. He made not one mistake. Though night be dark and it may seem that day may never break, I'll pin my faith, my all in him. He maketh no mistake. God has made no mistake in your life. God will never make a mistake in your life. Rejoice in him. We go forth now, and the world has the right to see what is different in us. May it be that abiding joy that no man can take from us. Amen. We thank thee for thy word. Thy word is always far beyond our abilities to explain. Wilt thou remove and strike down all that was not of truth? Wilt thou sanctify to our hearts thy word? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. May we know that we have heard the very word of God and the promise of the Holy Spirit that we might do this, a settled rest and happiness in the Lord. Give it to us. Amen.